Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Welcome to episode 88 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter, and in today's episode, we're going to do some FAQs coming into our community and also our urology coding and reimbursement group. And uh, the first thing we wanted to cover or, or revisit is we had a clarification question from Tracy from our last podcast, the uh, episode number 87 on TC and 26 modifiers, the, the Eurodynamics billing. And her clarification question or statement was, uh, if the UD, UDS tests are done on Monday and the ordering doc isn't in the clinic, but there is a supervising doc, I know we would bill for the TC under this supervising doc. If ordering slash interpreting doc doesn't even see the test results in two, so, until two days later, later you're saying in the podcast that we bill the global service with Wednesday's date and not Monday's date. Or because of the MLN article, we can choose which date that we bill the global charges um, with Monday's date in the interpreting doc, even though he wasn't in the clinic on Monday. And, uh, and Tracy thinks uh, she she thinks she says I think we should bill everything under the interpreting doc on the date of service the date the service was rendered even if he isn't in the house based on the MLN article and not on the date he interprets it so Mark you want to give your two cents on that <clears throat> yeah so the I mean basically um, the way the MLN article reads you are providing the global. Both were supervised, um, and therefore billing on either date would work. Um, I don't know that you know. In the end, if that works better in Tracy's situation, to because it was done by two physicians, you know, billing it under a, a as long as one of the providers has done that, and you've met the incident two rules for both, you could choose the date. So. Tracy, if you think it's imp uh, better for you to bill it on the date it was collected under the interpreting doc, the documentation rules um, based on Medicare and the MLN and everything related to uh, UDS and basically pathology testing as well, um, that would be allowed. Um, so if that's the way you'd like to do it, I would say you're fine doing it that way. Um, for those of you choosing to, to bill it on the date it's interpreted, um, that's fine as well. That's what that MLN article allows. So you're good either way. And I think you had mentioned, Mark, that that the reason you would suggest it the other way was uh, just more from your own experience that having the bill come uh, when the patient is in the office or, you know, it just it makes it easier from that standpoint, but that was the only reason, you know, just more of that. That I mean, the only other thing wise. that's yeah, that and the only other thing that's out there is 
in that whack case that the patient dies in between, right? Or or doesn't come back, or that for some reason the test isn't interpreted. You know, making sure that it's done when it's billed is fine. Which you can do that and and do the data service back after it's read. So there's plenty of ways to protect. But yes, my, that my main concern up front was, yeah, it makes sense that when the at least the patient knows they had that visit that date, so it makes sense. So, Ray, anything? No, I I think that the important thing for all practice is to realize there's no real work value on the TC for the doc. So there's no real value in splitting it and letting one do one thing and one the other. So billing it under the interpreting doc on whichever date you think is better is looks to me like the right thing to do. Okay. All right. Hopefully that's, uh, that's, we got that clarified and solved. Um, okay. Moving on. We got, uh, uh, a request from Cheryl saying, uh, I'm asking for more info and CPT help on VUDS. And that's the right. video Eurodynamics. So, so essentially, um, on that one, um, you know, you've got the, the standard Eurodynamics test, whatever you perform. The only additional codes are the 74425 which is the urography, um, and then the 51600, which is the installation of the die, um, as those two additional codes for video urodynamics. Um, and then, of course, uh, with everything, making sure your documentation supports that you did everything and had a good reason for it. So um, hopefully that's um, really all that you need in that. Um, and, and ultimately, they're... Um, there are many groups that have the the that do not have the capable to the capability to do video urodynamics. Um, so they are just doing urodynamics without the video for the so you've got to have the equipment to do that. Um, and ultimately, I think the a lot of the physicians I've spoken with do feel that there is some advantages to having a full urography and the the video component. Um, and if they have that capability um, and that patient has those complaints that require urodynamics, you should be fine. So it's not really something that at this point in time you've got to have, you know, some extra reason to do the video urodynamics within your chart. Um, it is more of a, a preference in the, uh, the, the, the value, or excuse me, the, the preference in the test itself with the video urodynamics, as well as the documentation. And then the, the only other thing I will add is your chart note really does need to support the installation of the die and have the urography read included. So you do have some extra documentation that needs to be included in your urodynamics study to build the video urodynamics. Any uh, financial impact one way or the other that you want to mention or just it just kind of is what it is? So, I mean, obviously, you're going to get paid for those additional services um, if you provide them. Um, and ultimately, as far as net, um, you know, that's one of those things you have to look at as to what your costs are to run that, how often you use that machine, 
whether or not that because there's not billing extra for the die. So that's a you know a business um, proposition on the other side. Whether or not those add a significant you know net to the practice, um, but re- realistically, it's not a uh, it's not a big thing. It but it is it you know it does cover its costs typically, at least. Ray, anything on that? I don't have anything to add. Okay. All right. Um, okay, we had a question uh, come in from Heather, and uh, really this kind of sparked some discussion on uh, CPT wording and how you read a CPT description. But I want to kind of go through it, and we can um, go through the the correct answer, but then also want to have a little further follow up discussion on on. CPT and kind of the things that go into really deciding what's included, what's not included, and and how to look at a description. And this is a good example. So Heather asks, uh, anterior exoneration question. I have different opinions about how to code this surgery. My two urologists operated together. The bladder was removed, uterus, vagina, tubes, and ovaries, pelvic lymph nodes, and a ileal conduit created. So we start with a 51597 with the wording for pelvic exoneration. My surgeons don't feel we qualify because we didn't remove the colon. The AUA recommendation I received was to use the 51597 and the 50820. And not sure I agree with that. The CPT book in its description says and slash or abdominal perineal resection of rectum and colon and colost and and colostomy, any or any combination thereof. I guess I'm not sure what the and or means. Is the colorectal part necessary to perform the five one five nine seven? My doctors think we should piecemeal the coding, which I'm not a fan of. Appreciate some advice here. Hoping there's some clarification from the experts. So I guess the first thing is we probably should uh, read the read the description and. Uh, the full description, and then go from there. Are you going to do that? Yes, I will do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, pelvic exoneration complete for vesicle, prostatic, or urethral malignancy with removal of bladder and urethral transplantations with or without hysterectomy and slash or ab abdominoperineal resection of rectum and colon and colostomy or any combination thereof. That is a mouthful. It is a fair load. So, yeah. So um, if you, if we kind of break it down, obviously this is for a, a pelvic exoneration complete for vesicle prostatic or urethral malignancy. It does include the removal of the bladder and ureteral transplantations. So those are the those are the the first part of the the description. So that is a must, right? You're you're basically taking out um, the entire uh, urinary system in that regard. Um, so bladder looks like you know prostate in there, and that you are. Um, taking maybe a little bit wider margins 
and then doing ureteral transplantations. That is the base of that code. Then with or without basically says that these other items that are listed, um, if performed, are included, but if they are not performed, do not need to be accounted for in like a use of a different code um, or, a, or a modifier 52. Um, so it's essentially giving us a bundle. Um, so we couldn't bill separately for the hyster hysterectomy um, or a resection of the rectum or the colon or the colostomy, but we are not required to do those to still use the code as long as we provided the base. And any combination thereof basically says, if you did some of it, but not all of it, still the same code. And that's the after the with or without. So hysterectomy, not necessary, um, but included if done, abdominal perineal resection of the rectum and the colon and a, col and a colostomy, also not required, but included if performed. So in this case, um, based on her question, um, you would have to say that billing the, the pelvic exoneration, the 51597, um, does not require the resection um, of the colon, um, but if it's done, it would be included. Um, and then th there is no inclusion for the conduit, so you would re you would report that separately with the 50820, and those codes are not bundled according to NCCI. So you should be okay billing the 51597 and the 50820 based on CPT rules and on NCCI rules. You're going to be good. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, Ray, working with Ray and Mark, learning my coding and on my coding journey, I can't tell you how many times I've had to go to that description and, you know, Ray asking me, are you sure you, you read that properly? You know, those and ors or the with or without, I mean, they are so important. You know, those tiny words mean a ton in the description. Ray? Yeah, and, and I think we should point out that yes the two codes recommended by the AUA are correct uh, and you should build both but now those are two separate codes and they're not bundled so we should mention that uh, since you have the two docs working together one may have done the excision and another may have done the I have performed the conduit. So it would be perfectly normal for each doc to charge for the code they performed and the other one would be the assistant surgeon. Good point. Okay. Mark, anything else to add on that? No, I think, okay. that, I think that covers it. Hopefully that covers it. All right. Okay, the final one for today we're going to cover is from Shelby. Um, Shelby asked um, the question. She uh, states that uh, I've started coding for a group of urologists that bill for their prophylactic antibiotic injections separately 
from the procedure performed in the office. For example, the patient comes in for a planned cystoscopy with a Botox injection. The codes that the provider wants billed are the Botox codes, the 52287 and the J0585, and the injection of antibiotics, which is the 96372 and the J0696. They will also bill them with the cystos, prostate biopsies, and other minor office procedures. I thought that I understood that prophylactic antibiotics were inherent to the office procedure, but my providers are adamant that they can be reported separately. I've tried it their way, and I'm getting denials all over the place. Could you help me with this? Are my providers wrong or my payers? Thank you. Okay, so we we actually uh, discussed this a little bit um, in our recent seminar. Um, the um, you know in the definition of global, um, you've got a lot of things that are included or implied to be included, um, but you've also got a lot of interpretation across payers that are out there, um, and then you've got some other rules out there that really kind of uh, don't necessarily make as much CPT sense, but ultimately make payment sense in the overall process. So with all that being said, um, the 96372, in addition to the J0696, is often reported so that there is a reporting of the actual injection of the antibiotics, because the antibiotics are separately payable um, you know, it is a supply that is not necessarily bundled into the actual in-office procedure. So um, it's, you know, for a lot of payers, it's very important to have both the, 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 the method of delivery as well as the drug that was delivered. So billing that code um, is oftentimes a, a, a basically a payer path to make sure that your antibiotics are, are billed for. Now, there or paid for. Now there are some payers that will separately reimburse the 96372, um, and and that has been something that has been used by multiple folks as part of that overall treatment. And yes, it is a part of the antibiotic or prophylactic, but it is also, um, I think, for a lot of folks, um, more or less part of the care of the patient in that recovery. Um, so, um, I don't see any problem with reporting the 9C36 or 96372. Now, the bundling side of this or the payments and denials that are there, um, I can see as you read through the definition of global why the 96372 would be bundled into the service, similar to insertion of catheters and wound care and everything else that goes as part of the global. Um, so one of the things that we have done with our revenue cycle management group or our billing outsourced billing group is we will report the 96372 when it is provided for these antibiotic injections. But when they are denied, we will not appeal those um, because of the definition of global. So um, if you have payers that pay for those um, because they have not packaged that in with the global, um, the payment is relatively uh, minor um, and 
there is some wiggle room in the interpretation that would say it's you know it might be separately payable. So um, we will accept payment instead of returning it. So we are billing it out with a value to it for those payers. Um, so in the end, there's a little bit of both of you are right um, in the process, but I will tell you that running those through an appeal process um, for a lot of your bigger payers um, is uh, a no-win situation and shouldn't be done. So if you report it, um, and if you decide to report it with a zero value, that's fine. Um, but ultimately, report it um, and and don't be afraid to write it off as it's when it's denied as bundled. That would be generally in, appropriate in under most definitions of global. Ray, uh, if it's strictly for prophylactic, uh, and you do it routinely. You, you certainly don't have much ground to stand on when you appeal. However, if that's an occasional where there's a clinical reason for you to uh, administer the antibiotic at the same time and you have a good medical reason for doing it, then you do have an appeal that you could make to get paid. Good point. Yep, yeah, and and I'll and I'm still going to add good luck. <laughs> it is not a it, it it is not a very winnable piece, and it's not a big uh, it's not a big revenue piece. So it's a, it's a it's a hard one to. I mean, I get the principle, um, but I also would say the effective approach of day to day life makes it a difficult one to to fight on principle. So, so the, it boils down to being a beautiful theory that gets murdered by the cold, hard facts of life. Correct. That sometimes standing on principle doesn't pay. Correct. <laughs> well, let me ask. Okay, so let's say you do appeal, you win it. Could you then use that appeal to go back and get all your uh, other ones paid? And would it be worth you're, you're, you know, you're really talking apples and oranges when you're talking about appealing one for medical necessity and getting it paid yeah. and then having the others for prophylactic. So I would say no. Yeah, it makes and, sense. And mass appeals are, are not really, I mean, unless you've got a way to go in the back door there with some, some good connections, that's not the way it works. It's usually one-on-one-on. -on -one -on. <laughs> that reminds me. Uh, early in the game, before I was really uh, got into this teaching aspect, was really not that knowledgeable, but had some knowledge. I had a procedure that was denied that that really should have been paid, and we appealed it, and and it wasn't. But I had a good patient. He was an engineer, and he was he was he thought principal was important. So I wound up taking the entire appeal to a administrative judge, and it was a good principle that should apply to a lot of procedures. And I won the case in the administrative judge only to find out that that's not precedent setting. That means I won one case. <laughs> it certainly wasn't worth the time.
So, so even though it has a, a name, a mass appeal, there's really no such thing. No. <laughs> yeah, not, I, I think you're, I think you're uh, applying a, a, an excellent term, but to the wrong setting. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up here. I do want to remind you all that uh, the spring session of the urology coding course opens up on April 4th, and uh, we'll put links to uh, to that information in the episode, which if you go to prsnetwork.com forward slash 088 for episode 88, we'll have links to that. And what we do encourage you to do, and, and you know, Ray and I were talking about this earlier, and Mark and I, we've all had this discussion about you know, and, and this has been said so many times, even on this podcast, but you don't know what you don't know is, you know, it's been said, I, I saw this quote from Epictetus, who was, you know, an ancient philosopher back, you know, 150 AD that, that says it's impossible for a person to learn what they already think they know. And, and that's what we see in coding a lot. And so we've put together a a, a coding quiz. It's a 10 question quiz that you can go and, and just see, just test and see if, if you, if you know the urology coding, because uh, we want to help you, you know, get your uh, denials down and get all those procedures that you've done billed for and paid for. So that's really what we're trying to do. And urology coding's not easy. It's a hard thing. So you got to spend the time to, to really learn it. Ray, You've been preaching on this pulpit for a long time. Thoughts on this? Well, it you know, we found out we've offered this free test, and it, it does use scenarios to ask you questions about routine stuff. You, you should know how to code. So if you don't take the test, we should add to your saying is we don't want to know what we don't know. <laughs> the ostrich theory, right? Right. <laughs> so, and so the doing... test is free. You don't have to put in a credit card. You don't have to do anything else. And nobody else sees your results except you. It's just a self-test. All right. Well, we do encourage you to go there, do that. And if uh, if you visit the episode page that there will be a link to it and the the link the the actual test is on prsnetwork.com forward slash euroscore u-r-o-s-c-o-r-e so if you want to take the test we encourage you to do so all right anything uh any other comments from you mark uh none for today um good questions overall all right Ray, final thoughts, and then take us out. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery. <laughs>